Ladies and gentlemen alike, welcome back to the MV Podcast. I always say MV, but you know what that means. Mountains and Valleys Podcast. And what episode is it? It's episode number 8, Ocho. And here we are. Maybe a little bit delayed on getting this episode out, but haven't I been doing that since the beginning, man? It's just my style now. You know, it's kind of like, it's late, but everything that processes in my mind leading up to one of these episodes is like, it's a lot in my mind, because it starts like, it'll start like, let's say it starts like on a Monday, like by like the next Monday, I'm like just completely like blown away with like what's in my mind and what's going on and what, like, what do I talk about? And I'm still like trying to figure things out. And so to me, that's mostly kind of the most part why it takes me so long to get around to these episodes because there's just so much going on in this weird, unique brain of mine that I don't know, like, sometimes I don't know how to put it into words and I'm like, I don't want to record an episode and just slap some words on a sheet of paper, you know? So what I've been really kind of, th- what, so this or I should first, what I should really say is, I hope everyone's doing great and well. Um, and if you guys ever, ever, ever need something or just need someone to reach out to, please do go to our Instagram. It is the letter M, the letter V, and the word podcast. So that is MV Podcast. So if you guys ever need anything like prayer requests or, or um, spiritual guidance or just life advice or you just need someone to talk something out with please don't be afraid to contact us there dm us i think if you even go on there if you don't want to like do dm i think if you go on there you go on like our kind of um like the overview page or part of our profile i think our email should be on there so you can hit that email link and send us an email right to us and i'll make sure i get responded to all of you ladies and gents as soon as possible so if you ever guys just if any of you ladies and gentlemen ever need anything, just please, like, I'm here at your service, and I want to be here for you guys, so, well, 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 what is on my mind today? Well, actually, that's probably a bad question to ask, because I could sit here all day and tell you what's on my mind, because my mind's constantly racing. I don't know if that's just a, maybe that's just a natural human thing, or is that just a me thing? I don't know. I'm not a scientist. However, I will say that there's been something on my mind a lot lately, and it's kind of this imagery, uh, well, not, well, it is an imagery in my mind, but it's just this whole I- idea of just choosing love over hate. I've been, just kind of like been reflecting on the past few years, um, as far as like history, like, and I just kind of like look at our political spectrum, not even that, even our social spectrum, our, yeah, political and social spectrum, our morale, for say, overall, or at least in my area, looking at the morale of people, what do people consider important, what do people, what have people kind of pushed to the side, just looking at all sorts of things, and I look back, and like, because I'm kind of like a history guy, not like a huge history guy, like I don't know a lot, but the stuff, but I do know some interesting things, but I do know, like, I would say I know a good bit of history to kind of like relate back to, and I look back on a lot of history stuff and I'm just kind of blown away sometimes because you always have like at least two sides fighting against one another and of course like in your history books you'll say well they fought for this land or they fought because this treaty was not right or they they just fought because they just hate each other but no matter what reason the the history book or a textbook tells us I feel like 
at the end of the day, it really boils down to two elements. No matter what two sides are going against each other, country versus country, culture versus culture, religion versus religion, person versus person, family member versus family member, I don't know what it may be, but whatever it is, whenever there's two sides at opposition, I feel like the main root of the pro of like the main root of the causation or I should say the real underlying foundation of that rivalry and that competition and that um that fight and that war what lies under it is I feel like a not like a movement but it's a conflict between love and hate I feel like especially if you were kind of I feel like a lot of times we're, we're especially if you're like a big huge nationalist like basically proud of your country which there's nothing wrong with that but in some sense we're kind of told like well if they're not american then like not like five out of ten times they're either they're probably like an enemy so it's not just america i know other countries do it too where we're like well they're not this nationality so therefore they must be our enemy and we should get in this boxed up and i feel like our whole world's just surrounded by this ideology of it's us versus them but that us versus them to me translates to that we're just we're fighting a war of love versus hate. Because when we say us versus them, that's letting hate win. But if we're but if we're able to say we're just two sides that are just in this confusing conflict, I think if we can begin to see our enemies as the prize, then I think we can more understand the idea of the whole love and hate. But really, what I'm what I'm get what I'm trying to wrap my mind around is that you can look at any point in history, and like I said, there is a constant fight between two sides, two sides, which roots in two elements, and those two elements is love and hate. And the two sides usually are, um, as we see in history, are usually founded upon hatred for the other side, towards a decision they made, towards their culture. It doesn't even have to be an all-out war. I mean, you look in today's spectrum, and I know one main thing is usually, it's usually, um, or at least if you're obviously being in America, we're kind of almost trained in some way to hate the Muslim community. And that is because we kind of look at the radicals of the Muslim world and we see that as every Muslim, which is not true. But, you know, people do every religion, every group like that. They always look at the extremists rather than thinking about just the average um, member or being or person of that group or religion. But my, my question, my main question is, you know, we can talk about love over hate all day. We can talk about, you know, the greatness of love. But I think the question to me boils down to is, it's, it's more of the why. Like, why must we choose love over hate? Every day we wake up, we have a choice of to, uh, or at least to me here lately, that's what it's been. It's been, I wake up every day and I have, two cho I have a choice to make between two things. I can either choose to be a hateful being that day, or I can choose love over hate that day. I had a great conversation with a friend of mine, well, actually some, actually not just one, but a few other people as well. It's something I've noticed here lately is I've allowed, I've been having a lot of hatred and anger in my heart lately just towards some, um, towards some things in the past and towards some people. And, then I, and I just stopped and thought the other day and I went, I feel like this hatred inside that I, that I had inside me was, it wasn't doing anything to the person who I felt hurt, or the people or person who, that I felt hurt me. If anything, that hatred was just eating me away, eating me on the inside. 
And then I thought, like, what does hatred really bring any good? It's not fruitful. It just, if anything, it not only does it destroy you, it destroys the other person. So who who really wins when you're both destroyed? And I just had to think to myself that, and this is where this whole idea came from, is God just spoke to me and he just said, every day you have to choose love over hate. And so today I just want to, like, I want to look at the greatest example of someone who chose love over hate. And so I'm going to be kind of all over the place. It's going to be in the New Testament. I'm going to be in um, Matthew, Luke, and Acts. Pretty much that's where I'm going to be. But I'm going to be jumping um, from there to there over time. So so I'm just going to begin in Matthew 27, verse 27 through 31. And just to kind of reiterate that, because I know sometimes I just, I get so much into talking, I'm like, speaking all these lines, and I just like forget to slow down, calm my nerves, calm my brain, and just... Peace. So, Matthew 27, uh, verse 27 through 31, and it says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him, and they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to be crucified. So obviously this is um, this is the point leading up to Jesus' crucifixion where Jesus is being mocked by the soldiers. And I forgot to mention before this, so this whole journey kind of began, or at least... This day kind of begins with the people who Jesus had ministered to, the people that Jesus just poured out this unrelentless love to. They ended up choosing, um, they ended up choosing Barabbara, um, gosh, I cannot say that name today. But anyways, they basically chose, um, they chose a prison, they chose a criminal, a murderer over Jesus. And that's like, that to me, that that had to hurt, you know, just thinking about Jesus loved all these people. He ministered to a lot of them. And he, he was just an amazing person to a lot of people. But yet, at, in the end, they ended up just yelling. Instead of, you know, giving back that love to him, in the end, every single one, including us, like, we can't exempt ourselves because, right, well, we live in 2018. I would not, I, I wouldn't say crucify Jesus. Well, looking at how some of us live our lives and considering that we all still sin today we probably would still crucif- say crucify him so it just has to hurt you know for Jesus to hear people he's loved say crucify him and then you know he goes on and he's flogged so basically he's whipped and his flesh is just torn and that's just I can't just imagine the blood and the pain ev- just everywhere it's been spilled out and then when that wasn't you know worse enough you know since the crucifixion if, if like all of this just wasn't worse enough you get to this. You get to come to this point where the soldiers they just begin to mock Jesus, and they mock him. They're like, "Hail, King of the Jews!" And they're not in a, in a complimentary way. Obviously, they're really mocking him, and they're treating him like he's just like he's stupid and like he's worthless. And they kind of treat him like the dirt beneath them because they just you know they basically abuse him and mentally abuse him and everything. And so that just, you know, that, that can't, I can't imagine how much that has to affect Jesus, not just physically, but also mentally in that moment. 
And then I kind of, uh, I'm skipping over a lot here. Um, you should read the story of Jesus' crucifixion. It's very, I mean, obviously, I know we get in that habit of where it's like, oh, I've heard that story a thousand times. But when you really sit down and read it for yourself in the Bible, it's it's just always, it's just so more, it's just so much more meaningful to me. Like as time goes on, the older I get, the more meaning and the more powerful the whole crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus is to me. But I'm going to go ahead and skip to Luke 23, uh, 32 through 43. And so, like I said, chapter 23, starting at verse 32, it says, um, and by the way, this is when Jesus is on the cross. So anyways, it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to a place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And that part right there, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Basically, the soldiers, like, they kind of took his clothes that they had, um, took him from him, or they took from him beforehand. They were basically, like, like auctioning off, like, here, take this piece of, of Jesus, this fake person. Like, they're kind of, this is just another form of humiliation that Jesus did not deserve. And it just has to hurt because... You know, he came loving people and he was all for, he was all about loving people. And here he has his own people just humiliating him and spitting on everything he stood for, not just as the son of God, but also just as a person and human being. And anyways, it goes on, it says, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. So it's just more mocking them, just saying, if you really are God's son, why don't you come off that cross? But then in verse 36 says, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. And, it's, and he said, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So let's just kind of break that down for a moment. So kind of looking at the first half is. So like I said, you have all these things going on. Jesus is, um, the people vote him in to be crucified. He gets flogged. He is mocked by the soldiers again and again and just tormented. He's nailed to a cross, which is just excruciating pain. I can't even, you know, imagine. And here we have, even when he's on the cross, he can't even get, you know, quiet in silence. He's still being mocked and still being just abused and, he just can't catch a break, and that's like such an underestimated statement because what he's going through is just unimaginable, and I can't even comprehend a single sliver of what it, it had to feel like to be going through all this. But yet, I think, I would dare say, at this in this moment in time, if anyone was had a 100% was, let me restart, Basically, what I'm trying to say is, I think at this point in time right here, if anyone had a right to be hateful, to be bitter, 
to hold a grudge against someone, if anyone had a right to do that, it was Jesus. I know that's crazy to think about because, yes, God is love. And I'm not, uh, I'm not sitting here talk, telling you guys that Jesus hates you. No, but what I am saying is, if Jesus was bitter at this moment and held a grudge against someone, I think it's fair to say that he would have been just to do that. For all that he's been through, it would have been understandable. But that's not how Jesus is. Because even when Jesus has been through all these things, he doesn't say God cursed them to for, to forever damnation, or he doesn't say, or he doesn't you know um, strike down the people who've who've brought him hurt, or he doesn't ask he or he doesn't you know suffer he doesn't ask for suffering he doesn't block them out he doesn't like kind of be like all right well since you did this to the son of God you can't be in heaven no what he says is Father forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. To me, that is Jesus just choosing love over hate, even at this point in time where I think he would have been just to not have to, I think he would have been just and and all in the right if he just stood on that cross and just took it and kept silent. But instead he, even when he was on the cross in excruciating pain, he still thought about us. He just still just begged God, saying, God, forgive them. Forgive them, Lord. Even when we spit on God and even when we rebuke Him and tell Him that we hate Him and we think He's not real or just or we tell Him He's not important to us, God still holds His arms open to us and says, I forgive you. And Jesus is here doing the same thing when people have kicked him and spit on him and flogged and ripped his flesh and he's just in this excruciating amount of pain that we can't even begin to fathom and imagine. Here he is still just saying, God, forgive them, forgive them, Father. They do not know what they're doing. His heart is still breaking for us. His heart is still pouring out to us. Even when, it sh- when, the, even when the light is supposed to be focused on him, he puts it back on us because he's still worried about worried about our salvation, our lives. He's worried about our future. And my my thing is, when we're going through persecution, when people are, and when we feel like we're hurt, let me ask you this. When, when you are in a situation being persecuted, or you're in a situation where someone has severely hurt you, would you be able to respond just like this? I'm not saying that we're all, of course we're not Jesus, but I think looking at this moment, if Jesus can be on that cross being crucified and He can still love people, then what's our excuse? We should, it's, I know it's hard, but we have to learn to choose love over hate no matter the pain. Because at the end of the day, the only thing that hatred is going to do, it's just going to eat you alive more. And all that hurt, all that pain and anger that you feel towards someone or something, it just intensifies because that hatred is a poison that slowly kills you. Choosing to hate someone rather than loving someone is like drinking poison out of a cup and expecting the other person to die. Choosing hatred over love, at least in my mind, it's basically just almost 
it's just basically shooting yourself in the foot rather than the person in front of you. Because if the person has done something wrong, you or if you or if you have anger towards the person, you know your hatred is not going to hurt them anymore. It's not going to impact their lives. It may impact their lives in a negative way. The only thing hatred does is it brings down two people. Whereas, whereas if you choose love, not only can you bring up yourself, you can bring up the other person with you. Because when you love your enemy and you love someone that has hurt you, it changes their world. Not only your world, but it changes their world. It's not going to happen every time, but when it does happen and someone realizes, like, like they kind of think back and they're like, God, I did all these things to you. I said all these things to you. I did, I did you so wrongly, but yet you still love me. You still choose to love me even though I, I act like your enemy. And they're going to ask you why. And then when they ask you why, it's when you can just simply say, because God loved me first. We're called to love our enemies because God loved us first even when we were His enemy. And that's the fun, that's the ironic thing about God is even when we were God's enemies, He never saw us as an enemy. He saw us as the prize. He saw us as what could be, not what we are at the moment. He saw what we could be in the future if we would just follow Him. And so... He didn't block us out. He didn't say, you can't be with me anymore. He didn't make us his enemy. He just said, I love you. And I, I have more for you. Who does that? Who in their right mind willingly goes on a cross and is crucified for our sins? Who in their right mind would still take the time to just say, God, forgive them? Jesus took the punishment for us because He chose love over hate. And then you go down to the other half of this where it says, you know, one criminal rebuked Him, but then the other one said, don't you fear God, Since you know, or the criminal rebuked the other one for bad-mouthing Jesus, but this other criminal, he said, don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve but this man has done nothing wrong you see here you have a guy a criminal who probably has lived his whole, maybe lived most of his life in this sin not just in sin, yes yes in sin in this evil way but he lived such a destructive life a life of no fruit a life that was made of bad habits and bad choices that led him down this dark road to death row but yet here he is on the cross and he sees Jesus saying God forgive them and this criminal, this guy who's done nothing probably right for the past few years in his life, here he is on the cross and he, his whole life's being changed because at this moment in time he's realizing this guy, this this guy, this man they call Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. And instead of being angry, instead of being hateful and bitter towards people, he still just says, God, forgive them. Maybe this criminal doesn't fully understand it, but part of me likes to think that at this moment in time, he got it. It clicked in his mind. He said, this is the Messiah. This is the Son of God because he is holy above all. Maybe at this moment in time, he's not understanding everything, but he does understand one thing about Jesus is that Jesus is love and that Jesus 
forgives. And because of this, he recognizes who Jesus is, and he recognizes the character of Jesus and the character of the Father. And so he just says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A man who has lived as a criminal, who's made tons, probably hundreds of bad choices, decisions, no telling how many people he's hurt, Jesus still on the cross was continuing his ministry of love towards people and because of that this criminal who everyone saw as a no good person someone that no one cared about because of what they'd done Jesus was able to change his life at that moment and then Jesus responds truly I tell you today you will be with me in paradise a life that had no meaning a life full of bad habits and bad choices, a life with no fruit. Jesus spoke into that life. He spoke into that life with love and He changes this criminal forever. I mean, of course, yes, He's going to die on the cross, but He gets to be in paradise with with the Father and the Son and the Spirit forever. His world is about to be rocked when he gets to heaven. But part of me likes to think that his world was already rocked when he saw G when he was on the cross next to Jesus. His world was already shook. And so my mind just goes back to this whole idea of it looks where I feel like I get points in my life. I get it. I understand. I'm a teenager. I go through a lot of emotions, but not just I'm a teenager. It's because I'm a human being. I have people who hurt me. I've had people who've done me wrong, and I get full of hatred. And maybe, yes, in, the, in terms of the world, in terms of our logic, we say it's okay to, to be angry towards them. It's okay to hate that person and want nothing to do with them. But what if we looked at what God said and God just said, Choose love over hate. Choose to love your enemy. Choose to pray for your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you so that you can change their lives forever. Not just their lives, but also your life and impact the generations that follow both of you forever. Because when you choose love over hate, you're not just impacting your life. You're not just impacting their life. You're impacting generations to come. Because I guarantee you, you can have a story just like this one where people will see that you treated him just like Jesus treated the criminal on the cross where you just said, I still love you. And you chose to love your enemy. People will look at you and people see you do that. They, their lives will be impacted too because they will say, who are you? Who are you to love your enemy? Who are you to love that person who, persecu who persecuted you? And that's when they just can't... They, and in that moment, they don't just see you, they see God in you. So when you choose to love someone rather than hate someone, when the world says it's okay to hate them because of what they did to you, but when you choose to love them because God says, I loved you first and I loved you when you hated me and I loved you on that cross. When you choose to love somebody in spite of what they've done to you and what they feel about you, you're changing numerous lives and lives that you won't even imagine. Maybe 40, de maybe 40 decades from now, 400 years from now, someone will look back and remember saying, I remember when a whole community was changed because of one person's 
decision of when they woke up that day and they said, I will choose love over hate. I see communities, not just the community I live in, I see cities, I see communities, I see cultures, I see an interaction of cultures all hurting because I see a world full of hate. I see communities full of hate, whether, whether it's because they have a hate on the basis of a racial problem, they have hatred based on a sexuality problem, they have hatred based on a difference in religion, a difference in belief, a difference in politics, a difference in social aspects, a difference in morality. And we as Christians have fallen into this trap of slipping into that and thinking it's okay to hate the enemy, to, it's okay to call someone the enemy, when God hasn't called us to call anyone the enemy. He has not told us to, to call what is, what is, God has not told us and He's not commanded us to declare what is unclean and what is clean. God has simply called us to love our enemy. Rather than seeing them as the enemy, we see them as the prize. We see them as what could be. We see them as tomorrow's leader. You know, I kind of been had this conversation, went to this conference about this. We, we tend to look at the Muslim community and we say they're the enemy, but are they really the enemy? We tend to look at not just that those kind of things, but we also we also look at you know in politics we say, oh well they're a Republican or they're a Democrat, they're my enemy. When I feel like God never called us to really have an enemy unless it's evil, but out of that spectrum, God called us to love everyone as our neighbor. God didn't say hate your enemy and curse and hope they die. He said love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. I think, you know, a lot of my testimony and a lot of my life, or at least the first half of it, I should say, was built on a, on a basis of hating. People who've been around me long enough, they've seen an ugly side of me at times where hate can drive me. And it doesn't drive me in a positive manner. If anything, it drives me to my, my personality and my character to change. And I become a bitter person. I become unhappy. I get no sleep. Because that hatred, it's just eating me away. It's not eating the other person away. It's eating me alive. And with the whole world of confusion and a whole world of chaos... All, all we, if we don't choose to love, all we're doing is just adding on. So when I say, when I ask God the question, why must we choose love over hate? I really believe the reason why we have to choose love over hate, one, because Jesus did it, because Jesus chose love over hate, and two, in a world full of chaos, a world full of hatred, in a world full of it's it's um, them, it's us versus them, a whole world of just full of the mentality of we're constantly at war with the person who disagree with us, uh, disagrees with us. I think we must choose love over hate for the sake of the kingdom, because not just for the sake of the kingdom, but also the sake just for bare human survival. Because if we just keep hating each other and killing each other, whether or just going after each other in general, then we will never thrive, we will never be unified, and we as people will constantly be divided, and we will never be able to get anything progressed in life. 
and we'll have a whole world full of fig trees that bear no fruit. Rather than being full of a world of a different variety of people and different variety of just a different variety of people of cultures and backgrounds that produce fruitful lives that impacts the world in a positive way so that we don't have to keep hating each other and have to keep killing each other, but rather we can be in communities that love each other, that are safe communities, so that the kid who's on the street, who's never known what the word safe means, can come into those communities and understand what it means to be safe, to be okay, to be surrounded by people who love you, not people who hate you and abuse you. That's what we can do if we just have a unified love for each other. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that we do this whole idea of coexist. Because when you get down to the idea of coexist, like, I respect your religion as long as you respect mine. Yes, there needs to be that respect there. But at the same time, if we aren't reaching out to the different religions, to the different ideologies and the different beliefs outside of Christianity, if we aren't reaching out to them, that we aren't loving on them the way we should. I'm not saying you stand on the sidewalk and you have a bullhorn and you have a, a trifold poster board and you tell them that God hates them because they... You don't, you don't do that. You don't tell them they're going to hell because they don't follow Jesus. I mean, yes, it is true, but that is not the way, I don't think that's the way we really, we should deliver the message. If anything, we need to be out there just saying, hey, look, I know you believe these things and I'm not going to take away your culture, but just, this is what God has for you. And I think your life can be so much more within the kingdom because Jesus didn't come just to give us eternal life. Yes, he did come so that we could forever be with the Father in heaven if we chose him. But Jesus also came so that our lives, our daily lives can be multiplied and be multiplied, multiplied fruitfully. And so that like our lives don't have to be just a dot on some grid, on some big picture, on some big image. We're not just a little minuscule dot. dot. We're a painting on the wall full of paintings that God has. We don't have to be just a speck of dust in the sand. God raises us up to be more. He takes our dry lives that are just deserts. And he makes them overflowing, just fulfilling waters of life and joy that, that pours out into the lives of others so that they can be brought into this kingdom and their lives can be multiplied and so that they can live life to the fullest, a life of abundance. Because all hatred brings is a life of burden, a life of anger. And every day you wake up, if you choose hatred, you're going to go through life hating life and hating yourself and you'll never get to experience the joys of life like loving someone, having a spouse, having kids or just having friends, having good relations with people or just being in good worship and loving the creation that we're surrounded in because hatred blocks us in this bubble of just having a bitterness towards everything and we, if we're not careful we end up destroying our lives. And we destroy ourselves with hatred rather than building ourselves up and building others up with love. I was going to read from the book of Acts, but I think I've said a lot. And I don't know if it's really made a lot of sense, but there's a lot going on right now. And I feel like we're just, I feel like we're on the verge of something big happening in the world. There's a lot of hurt. I know there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of things I still don't understand that go on in this world. And I do question God why. But I think the way to endure that, the way to get through the hardships and the darkness is to choose love. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can drive out hate. 
And if we want to see a change, if we want to see a changed world, if we want to see a changed America, do we, if we want to see a great America, a great nation, not just for America, but if we want to see a, just wherever you are, what country you're in, we just want to see a great city, we want to see a great community, we want to have a firm, solid family, we want to be close with our spouse, we want to be close with our friends, we want to have a brotherhood and a sisterhood bond with everyone we meet. If we want a good change community for our children and our friends and for the people to come, we have to choose love. A community founded on hatred will just fall on itself and fall in on itself. A nation founded on hatred towards others will only find itself corrupt and crumble. But if we can be a city on a hill, or just a country or a community or a city, or just even a family founded in love, then we can be a light that dries out all this darkness that we see today. Because you want to know the problem in the world where I would dare say where most problems happen. It's not because, you know, I'll say it. I think at the end of the day, it's not because we need, maybe it's not really because we need more more gun control or maybe we just no gun control. It's not because, you know, we need more acceptance or we just need to bottom line it here or it's not we need more democracy or we need less democracy we need more regulation or we need less regulation we need more government less government or we need more of this less of that or whatever it is the problem is not that the problem is not those specific things the problem is morality we've lost ourselves to a world where we just say it's me 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 where we look at jesus and he always always, always, always was just saying it's about the Father, it's about the kingdom. And then he would say it's about you. It's about the plans I have for you. What if we can live a life where we don't say me, 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 but we say it's about the Father, it's about the kingdom, and it's about the people around us? Are you just stuck in a pattern of going to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and then going to the occasional conference and thinking you're getting okay, just getting by, and your relationship with God is good and solid because you do those three things. If you're in that motion of just going to church, going to the conferences, going on Wednesday nights to a youth group, and you say, my relationship with God is solid, I would question that because it's not about us. Yes, it's important to go to church. Yes, it's important to be a part of youth group. Yes, it's important to go to those amazing conferences. I've had conferences that change my life. Yes, it's important. But at the end of the day, let me ask you this. Who's sitting at the table with you? You can go to the temple. You can go to the church. It's this whole idea. You can go to the church and worship all day, but who are you bringing with you? It has to begin at the table. It has to begin in those small in those small-knit communities, those small-knit groups, or maybe just one-on-one with you and someone else, you have to begin there with loving people and loving others, no matter what they think of you, and no matter what the difference between you and them is, you have to love people, and you have to start bringing them to your table, because you first have to bring them to the table if you want to bring them to the temple or the church worship. People are never going to want to be in the church if we never invite them to our table first. 
Why would someone want to come and worship God alongside the people of God if the people of God never invited them in the first place? Or if the people of God never loved them in the first place? Inviting someone to church is a great thing. Don't get me wrong. But if we are simply just inviting, just inviting someone to church and that's it, we don't do anything beforehand, then we're not loving them. And that person is going to realize that they don't want to be in a place of full of people that they don't know if they love them or not. But we can begin with loving that person, starting a friendship with that person outside of church and then bringing them into the church They'll be more accepting. They'll be more accepting of the idea of coming to church because they'll realize, hey, that's a place where I think they'll love me because this person who's a part of that church loves me. So maybe it's a church full of people who love me and will accept me. Because some people desperately need that and that will and not just acceptance from the people, but they need to know that the people of God love them because in some way that affirms them that God loves them. We are meant to be the ambassadors for Christ. We are meant to be the images of Christ. Some people are not going to pick up a Bible. Some people will, will, won't will read, you know, some people just don't have a Bible in their house. Some people will never pick up the Bible and read it and realize that God loves them. So they look to the people that say they are God's people and they will look to those people and they will see how they act. And then depending on how they act, that's what they think about God. I used to be a person full of hate. You cannot tell you what it got me. Me choosing to hate people and thinking I was in the right and thinking I was above them in some way because I'm a better Christian or I'm a Christian they're not or I'm smarter than they are or I think I'm better than they are. Can I tell you what that hatred, arrogant self got me? I've lost a lot of good friends. I'm not talking just Stan, who I say hi to about two times a day at work or at school. I'm talking about people who were like brothers and sisters to me that I spent so much time with and so much fellowship with that we grew a special bond. And you know what? All that hatred that I had the unnecessary hatred towards things that whether when someone did something wrong to me rather than me overlooking it and forgiving them I held, I held those burdens and I held all that hatred in my heart all it did was just ruin those friendships and I was left in a lonely dark place and next thing you know I lost myself in that moment the only thing I saw when I looked in the mirror wasn't Mark I just saw a demon or a walking being full of hatred. And I have to live every day knowing that I lost those special bonds. Yes, they can be redeemed, but at this moment in time, I've lost a lot of special people in my life because, or at least I should say, I lost a lot of special relationships and friendships in my life because I let hatred eat me. I let it win. I let Satan overcome my life and my character. And you know who was miserable at the end of the day? It wasn't the people who hurt me. It wasn't the people who I used to have bonds with. The person who hurt at the end of the day was me. That's who suffered. 
But then God just broke my heart to a place of love. And I looked and I read the story and I just saw Jesus just saying, God, forgive them. Just saying, Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he looks to the criminal. He could have just kept his mouth silent and took the punishment, but he still took time to think about others on the cross and just say, truly you'll be with me in paradise forever. And then I looked at Saul, persecuted Christians, hated people, full of bitterness, eating him away. And instead of God rebuking that man, instead of God pushing away the person who was taking, who was trying to take down his, instead of God looking at Saul as the enemy who was trying to defeat the kingdom and take down the kingdom that God was trying to build at that moment, God saw him as the prize. He saw him as what could be. And so he loved him. And out of that love came millions and millions of lives transformed by the words that Paul wrote in the scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit. And out of that came one of the greatest believers, one of the greatest Christian leaders of all time. And you know what people remember Paul for the most? The one attribute they remember Paul for the most? Love. How is it that someone who is seen as a person full of hate can become this icon, this image of... How is it that someone who was just seen as this bitter, hateful enemy, how is it that they can become this symbol and this person that everyone looks to and says, he stood for love. He stood for the love of God. I'll tell you how, and I'll tell you how that happened. Because God's love can radically change things. It can break down, it can break down the strongest walls and it can break the hardest of hearts. And there's no telling how, the, how much the world changed. All because Paul chose love over hate. So I ask you this. A community, a church, a culture, a nationality full of people. Or better yet, us Christians if we would just choose to relentlessly love, and every day we wake up, we choose love over hate, how much more can we change the world today? How much more can we impact lives, and how much more can we bring people out of the darkness and into the light, and show them that they aren't wor worthless, that they do have a purpose, and that there is something called safety, there is something called comfort, and there is something called a good father, because they never experienced that before, but they are able to experience through God, through the kingdom, the meaning of love, the meaning of safety, the meaning of comfort, the meaning of purpose, the meaning of being priceless to somebody, and the meaning of having someone who loves you so much that they died for you. That's what it's all about. About love and bringing people into the kingdom so that they can experience that love. Love changed me. 
And so I would be a fool to not allow it to change others through me and through the words of God that, is given, that God has given me. I would be I would be a hypocrite. I would be a disappointment to myself if I did not get out there every day and love people because God loved me. So when I so when so just ask yourself are you going to choose love or hate every morning you wake up every single every single minute do you choose love over hate and I'm just going to leave this right there that's your conversation with God today will you choose love over hate